Let's do it. Let's do it. Broadcasting from around the world, you're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your host, Hadi Rodwan. Good to have you on the show, Jenny. How are you doing today? I'm great and I'm happy to be here. Thank you for being here. I'm going to do a quick introduction for our listeners. So Jenny Yvonne Podwells is the founder of Leapsum, which is a people enablement platform that helps organization develop a repository of collective intelligence. You bootstrapped the company in 2016 and you recently raised around 60 million in a series A round to start your expansion globally. Take us back to the founding aha moment, Jenny. How was Leapsum born? So the aha moment for Kayatan, my co-founder and I was basically out of the previous jobs we've had and the previous organizations we've worked for and worked with and seeing during phases of rapid growth and rapid change, how the alignments or the clarity, what we wanted to achieve together, how the organizational health and culture, and also how the lack of people enablement, so the clarity for people on what they know well, what they can improve on, how that wasn't properly built out. And ultimately, that meant for the companies, it was hard to fully live up to its potential. And it was also frustrating for employees as um, maybe the work environment wasn't as fulfilling as it could have been. So it comes down very much to Kaitans and I, uh, my previous experiences in the workplace. Tell the listeners a little bit what Leapsum does in essence. So Leapsum is a B2B software platform that's modular. It has a module for OKR tracking, for modern performance management and feedback, for employee surveys with actionable um, people analytics and action plans, as well as a learning, onboarding and a reward module. And why would companies roll this out? It's like an operating system for the company to build alignment so we can jointly execute the strategy we set up, set out to tackle. It helps companies to understand what works well in the company and how the company can be improved so the environment for people to succeed and to help clarify the strengths of individuals and help people to reach really, really high performance at the individual and the team level. So that's what we do. And working with this very big tech companies like Unity or Spotify, but also smaller tech companies, professional services companies, but also very established businesses. And yeah, that, that's, that's amazing. Nice. Amazing. So I think so far you have more than a thousand five hundred organization using your solution. And the show is about your first 100 paying customers. Do you remember your first paying customer and how did you convince them to be part of Leapsum? We set out with this product vision, but obviously you can't actually build uh, the entire product from the get go. So the first version of the product was actually just instant feedback. And there was a Salesforce consulting and development company here in Berlin that I think was our first paying customer. So they just paid for this instant feedback tool that when you look back at it, it was super narrow, quite crappy. And I think they actually also didn't stay a customer for, for that long. <laughs> but I think we fun to work with them with still a lot of handholding and being involved in, in the onboarding, the feedback trainings. And yeah, I mean, still, still important first win on that that leaps some journey. Amazing. Can you highlight a little bit more? What was your early acquisition strategy after yeah. you had your version two or three of the software? Yeah. 
So in the very early days, what worked quite well for us was, first of all, events. So being involved in the right sort of meetup, vertical events, speaking about what we do and thereby actually building trust. That's how we got quite a few of our early customers. In addition to that, it was I mean, the very traditional way of going through network, sort of like friends, acquaintances, getting targeted introductions to, to other companies through VCs. And so it's been very, very non-scalable in the sense, but that worked um, quite well for us in the very early days. To go back to the event uh, marketing that you mentioned, you know, at the early stage, you, you invest, you go out to the event and you expect a certain number of leads and then you don't get that. How do you keep yourself disciplined to know if that was a good investment and if you should do another event? I mean, I think for us in the early days it was very, very sort of like basic metrics, such as like the amount of conversations that followed from an event. And we were still in this very early, like learning and iteration phase. So a lot of these conversations even help to fully understand the pain points of our potential customers, clarifying who our ICP is, clarifying who our buyer is, what people care about, um, how they think about the ROI of this, this tool category. So I think it, it, obviously the best case was making a sale from it. But I think even like these early conversations helped us quite, quite a lot as neither of us has like ever worked in, in HR or as a people professional. We both have been sort of operators. Kaitan more on the product side, I'm more on the sales side. So that that's sort of like been the very, very simple metric looking at events in the very early days. And today, how much of your investment is still in events? Super, super tiny share which to some extent is also due to COVID. So we're only just in the process of revamping our field marketing and event strategy. We're doubling down on a handful of these really important like blockbuster trade shows that might even be an element of brand building, um, being in the right places, being seen in the right places. They might not even be as important from a lead gen perspective than some of the much smaller, much more vertical events. So the event strategy we're building right now is a mixture of those big block blockbuster shows in addition to very vertical events, partner events that are actually quite interesting for us from a lead gen perspective. Very interesting. What was the next channel that you went after, after events that was, let's say, successful and you've now still invest heavily in? So performance marketing has been a really important source of lead generation for us from the very early days onwards and actually continues to, to be one even right now. So what was important for us in the early days, once we had initial logos, initial case studies through sort of like these network or event leads, that was sort of like the website uh, that we could lead these these um, these leads to that had enough credibility to then actually um, win us that, that initial demo. And back in the early days, we were very, very focused on very sort of high intent leads. So pretty much the only option on the website was actually to book a demo, not much else, just one call to action. But that actually worked well for us in the early days. Yeah. So that was other important lead gen, gen driver back in the day. Amazing. Is there any other tactic or strategy you've used to acquire the hundreds customer? It's always a good question because it's such a long time ago. So the networks, the targeted intros, the events, um, performance marketing, 
those were important ones. Partnerships, uh, a sort of version one of partnerships was already also part of the, the equation back in, in the day. And there was like an HR practitioners or expert network that we closely partnered with. We had sort of an initial partnership with Personio as an HRS um, tool that we are also um, very much integrated with. So that is probably the other important additional source of, of, of pipeline um, that we already uh, built, built back then. How important is the founder's involvement day one when it comes to, you know, these partnerships, especially that maybe the reputation of the company is still unknown and uh, you'd need to uh, try to get uh, those uh, logos, as you mentioned, uh, on your platform? Hmm. I mean, I think partnerships in the early days are very similar to sales. And I think it's also very effective if the first million of ARs basically found or sold. And I think similarly, the first partnerships need to be um, built and maintained by, or ideally need to be built and maintained by one of the founders. I think it's super, super hard to be handing this off to someone else in the early days. I mean, worst case, yeah, let an intern do the sales because you don't feel like selling your own product. I think that's maybe not the ideal scenario to get started with. And what advice would you give a founder who's starting, let's say, with a technical co-founder? They don't know how to sell, mm -hmm. but they have to sell. What's the learnings here? Any advice you could give? I mean, I think especially also for technical co-founders, uh, it's quite valuable to be uh, having the direct um, contact with customers. So also for us as a founder team, despite that I was the one that had more previous experience in sales, it's always been Kayatan and me selling in the early days. And I think that's also part of our success um, that also the more technical founder, the product engineering founder, at least has a certain level of ex direct exposure to customers. And maybe then there is a motion of bringing somebody else onto the team that maybe handles more the salesy part of the relationship and then doing it almost like as a pilot, co-pilot, um, joint, joint motion. But I think it's, it's, it's so important to hear from customers firsthand, um, both during the sales process, maybe why you don't convert them. And then obviously also in the, in the onboarding and the ongoing relationship. So I, I feel like there's not really a shortcut for that unless it's like a pure product led growth motion. And also then you want to be speaking to your users, right? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. What has been the most challenging part of building Leapsum early on? I mean, there have been so many challenges along the journey. Um, translating customer user feedback into the right product decisions, right? You can only build so many things at the same time. So figuring out what really now moves the needle in terms of conversion, but also success and satisfaction of customers. Being very, very fast um, to build upon this feedback, but at the same time to also stay true to your product vision. So finding that really fine line of adapting the, the, the product roadmap, but also executing on, on your own vision. I think that's one. I think what we've actually been doing really well is building a standard product rather than building exotic features just for a few customers. And I think this is something that, especially with your first big customers that you win, is a really big risk. Um, and I think this is something where Kayatan is a really, really, really strong product leader to hold us accountable to that really clear product, product roadmap while staying, staying agile, agile enough, especially in the early days. Then I think the second challenge has been, and frankly, I think it continues to be a challenge as you grow, is 
scaling marketing and sales in sync. And I think there have been times when every seller had like 30 new demos a week, which is not really, I mean, it's a good problem to have, but it's also not really sustainable. And then there's times when maybe your Salesforce doesn't actually get enough leads uh, through an inbound motion. So getting, scaling these in sync, I think that's probably one of the harder parts of scaling as well. And yeah, these are the, the top two that come to mind. Um, then maybe third one also, realizing when something you've built and you've believed in isn't the right way forward and challenging that again. So, I mean, I mentioned in the, in the beginning, right? Our first product was instant feedback standalone, which was just way too narrow a product, um, to get started on and yeah, figuring out like, ah, we need to, I mean, um, we need, really need to double down building this or that widening the product, which, which product or what, what feature we had in mind to build next and knowing when to persist and when to course correct. I think that's also been, been a constant learning path. Amazing. Thank you for sharing this. So you've raised 60 million and it's quite a big number. How do you convince investors or at what point do you say, this is the time for me to go raise? And how would you determine the number? Hmm. Is it 60? Is it 50? Is it 45? Yeah, and that's that's also a good question. I mean, we probably wouldn't have thought to be bootstrapping for such a long time. We're never dogmatically bootstrapped. We were always very pragmatically bootstrapped. So we always asked ourselves the question, somewhat on a quarterly basis, like what our core priorities as founders should be. And the core priorities for a really long time were always like, we should really focus on building product and converting and retaining customers. The lack of cash never seemed to be actually the most important priority because we're in a very cash flow optimized business model. And so we've always discussed and said, no, it's not the right time to raise. We shouldn't raise now. We should focus all our intention on, on, on the things I've just mentioned. And then we re-asked ourselves this question a year ago, so in January 2022. This was the time when we discussed like what got us here won't get us there. So what gets you from 1 to 10 million might not necessarily be what gets you from 10 to 100 million. We've decided to double down a lot more on moving up market. We've decided to focus more on, on complementing an inbound motion with an outbound motion and also like double down on our global expansion we already had 20% of our of our uh, revenues and customers from from North America but to to further double down to build an office to set up an operation on the ground all of these are really big investment projects um moving up market building an outbound motion global expansion and in order to be able to double down on them somewhat in parallel we decided that that's actually a really good point in time where now cash all of a sudden actually is a bigger lever and that's when we decided to go fundraise it's been our series A, but based on the stage we were in, we could very much raise based on KPIs and metrics. Whereas I guess in some series A rounds, you, you raise much more on, on the story, the potential, the team. And so I, to some extent, it might have been a bit of an unusual series A round that it was very metrics driven. I mean, obviously there's also like the long-term story, the equity story, the potential we see in the market, but we could back that up as really, really strong SaaS KPIs. And I think SaaS is such a, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a very well understood model and we could benchmark ourselves and we had really, really strong benchmarks and all the KPIs. So that's why it's actually been a very, very lean and effective fundraising process for us, which, which was also something where when we always asked ourselves what our priorities should be, 
we always thought like when we are one step further, it's going to be easier. So why waste the time now if it's going to be easier <laughs> after the next milestone? Amazing. What is the principle that you live by that has helped you a lot in your life or in business? Is there a particular one? Yes, there's probably two for me personally. And I think actually these are very similar for Kaitan, my co-founder and I. One is to be impact-driven. So actually, I don't want to waste any time in my life not working and building things that matter. And for us, building Leapsum, I mean, we're in the business of making work more fulfilling. And we all spend 80,000 hours at work. So we want to make this time count. So that impact orientation is, I think, a really strong motivator for both of us and actually for, for the majority of our team. And the second principle is always learning. And that's really, really strong also at the core of our culture and our DNA. Two of our values are challenge the status quo and listen and learn. And for me personally, the drive is also to always keep learning, like never stand still, challenge the status quo. And I think this is really something that's also part of our secret sauce and our success that we always want to get better and improve and challenge if something that got us here will, will still get us to the next stage. So, so that's probably the two, impact and learning. Thank you for sharing these amazing principles, Jenny. What's next for Leapsum? So, I mean, the three big expansion topics that I've just mentioned, the global expansion with a focus on North America, um, moving more up market, also like diversifying the pipeline generation. Those are all really big projects that we're working on. So that's more on the, on the go to market side. Then on the product side, I mean, we're, we're clearly not running out of ideas of what we want to achieve. Um, we've just launched also like a first version of Leapsum AI that helps you get recommendations on how to write better feedback. So there's a lot of things we want to do on the product side to really help our users to change their habits, to really build the most effective operating system for companies to build alignment, learning, retention, um, especially in the current market where you need to do more to maintain your high performance, to maintain morale. So a lot more that we're focusing on the product side. And then also on the organizational side as the third building block next GTM and product is really building and keep building an exceptional organization. So we've set out to build the, the category leader and people enablement, but we also really very much care about building the, the best possible organization we wish we would want to work in internally. So always keeping, staying true to these values, executing on that amidst all the craziness of growth. That's also really, really core focus for us. Thank you for sharing all of this, Jenny. We wish you the best of luck. How can people reach you? LinkedIn or email jenny.podewitz at leapsum.com. Either way, we're always hiring. We're building partnerships. Um, yeah, I mean, just love to hear from folks. Thank you so much, Hadi. Thank you so much for listening to The First 100. We hope it inspired you in your journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey. Leave us a five-star review. Your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers. 